Good morning, uh, City Bible family. On Tuesday, I was running an appointment or heading over to Santa Ana. Uh, it was hot. I rolled down my windows. I was going into a par an empty parking structure to park my car. And I was listening to a podcast. And it was echoing throughout the parking lot. I thought nothing of it, really. I was preparing actually for this, this day, this morning. And as I rolled up the windows and I was exiting the car, there was a stranger that came up to me and says, Hey, uh, what were you listening to? And before I could even say a word, he says, You know, we are living in difficult and troubling times. I was totally off guard. And uh, I told him what I was listening to. We parted ways. Uh, we exchanged pleasantries and moved on. And I kind of had that moment of a delayed intelligence. I should have asked for his name. I should have asked more questions. I should have invited him to church or at least online. I should have prayed for him, but I failed. But if there's one thing that I was able to take away was that question, that, that, that statement that he says that we are living in a difficult time and troubles. The question that we have to ask ourselves. What should we focus on during these difficult and troubling times? Who has all the right answers? We know it. God does. God, God is all-knowing, um, omniscient. If that is true, if God is omniscient, what should be our thought process during this season? The real question is this, should our attention be on God's attribute of being all-knowing? Should our focus be on God's attribute of God's love or God's wisdom? Which of God's attribute should we be laser-focused on? The answer is simple. It's holiness. Holiness. Why? Holiness is the godly character that the Bible emphasizes the most about who God is. You see, God's holiness permeates everything about him, everything that he does. We want to talk about a loving God, but rarely do we want to hear about a holy God. Why do Christians neglect his holiness. Maybe it's because we fear man than we do fear God. Or maybe it's because God's love is more or is more uh, non-threatening. Or maybe we follow our own fleshly desires and compartmentalize God to fit our lifestyle. Let me give you an example. After talking to a few of you in the fellowship, a few of you shared with my wife, who's an extension of me, of course, about a recent uh, Biola graduate who posted a blog that came to the conclusion that, quote, coming out as a gay Christian is not contrary to the Bible. And she had her reasons. And that's her opinion, of course. She closed the blog um, and said, but there is still a God who is good 
and loves us. The question is, is God love? Yes, yes, God is love. But God, but but God's love without being holy is dangerous. If you have love without holiness, then we would be serving a God that is willing to overlook sin or even allow sin, sin in our lives so that we could get away with it to make us quote unquote happy. Understand God's love is holy and pure and it gives a, his holiness gives love strength. He doesn't want us to get away with sin. He hates sin. A holy God will not allow that. Here's the main point. Holiness must govern every attribute of our lives, especially during the church of diaspora. Why? Is because holiness governs every attribute of who God is. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And as you're flipping there, a little bit of a background. Isaiah chapter 2 through 5, he talks about the nation of Israel needing to get right with the Lord. The year was about 740 BC, the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was the king of Judea, which is the south southern part of and the southern part of Israel or the two tribes. The northern had the 10 tribes. And the northern borders were being threatened by the Syrians. The Philistines were there subdued. But King Uzziah had a distinguished and long 52-year reign. He started when he was 16 years old. He built buildings. He built towers in Jerusalem. He cut out cisterns for architectural he was an inventor. He designed state-of-the-art weaponry, as well as different machines. He was a general of com who commanded soldiers against their enemies. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Second Chronicles 26 tells us he, Uzziah, set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him, Uzziah, in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Everything was well, with a sense of peace and prosperity. King Hosea was a national hero. People looked up to him, people depend on him, and even Isaiah probably did so as well. But Uzziah's life ended tragically. The Bible tells us that he was strong. He grew proud to his destruction. Proud set in. Holiness was not existence. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense. In response, the Lord struck him with leprosy, and he was an isolated leper until of his death. Allow me to read Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, 
Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal uh, that had been taken with uh, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull or fat and their eyes heavy. Blind and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removed people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth uh, or an oak whose stump remains in its field, and the holy seed is its stump. Holiness must govern every attribute of our life. Our first point is shown in verse 1 where it says, I saw the Lord, I saw Yahweh and his holiness. You see, before we see Yahweh, before we see the Lord, our idols, our King Uzziah's, metaphorically, must die before we see the Lord and His holiness. Holiness is mentioned over 595 times. Again, it is part of everything of who He is and everything that He does. Love is mentioned 506 times. So catch this, God's love is a holy love. God's wrath is a holy wrath. God's sovereignty is a holy sovereignty. God's anger is a holy anger. Holiness is who he is. I had the privilege of hosting a small group about a month and a half ago. And John Monet joined us through Zoom, and he gave a study on holiness. Thanks, John. And he defined it simply as this, set apart. Set apart from what? From creation. He also just, uh, he was mentioning that is reverence, worthy of veneration or awe and respect. Transcendent is another word that describes holiness which means it's above everything else. It's at a different level. Holy, separated, 
with a W, wholly separated from sin and every creation. Honestly, none of us has any business being in the presence of a holy God. The Apostle John tells us in Revelation, he says, actually in content, seven angels were saying this, who will fear, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. In the New Testament, Peter tells us, um, and he says, First uh, Peter 1, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he, Jesus, who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Verse 16, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You may question, you start to think, is being holy even possible since God only is since God is holy? Listen, holy is not only possible for a Christian, it's required. Hebrews 12 tells us strive for peace for every with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. We are commanded to be holy. Verse 3 it repeats holy three times. Perhaps it's addressing the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Hebrew language, when a word is repeated, it emphasizes intensity and importance. So the Lord was not just holy. He wasn't just holy, holy. He was holy, holy, holy. If you go back to Moses... Um, in, his, in the scene of his conversation with the Lord at the burning bush, the Lord said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. So the, the one that has said, holy, 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 were the serpents to each other. Two wings cover their face, two wings cover their feet in a sign of adoration. So apparently it's the same for angels. And the other two wings were for serving. These angelic beings were similar to like the four living creatures in uh, surrounding the throne in Revelations. These were not just robot. They were not robotic creatures saying, holy, holy, holy. These were superior creatures with incredible intelligence who was enamored to see someone who is holy. They could have flown away at any time. Um, but they were so impressed with him. Unlike people, <laughs> sometimes uh, the more we know somebody, the more we get disappointed, but not with the Lord. The more that you know him, the more you'll be impressed. What was Pastor Chris's favorite line? To know me is to love me. I tell my wife that all the time. <laughs> Look at verse one to finish up the vision. And the train of his robe, and the train of his robe, fill the temple. A robe is used to honor. As you go to weddings, sometimes you see a gown that flows two, three, four feet, sometimes three feet. Queen Elizabeth II, on her coronation gown, her gown, her robe, was 18 feet who does she think she is, a queen or something? You know. Um, but with the Lord, his train 
filled the entire temple. What an amazing sight to really think about. The second point we want to look at is Isaiah says, Woe is me. Woe is me. In the light of God's holiness, he recognizes that he was a sinful man. I'm sure Isaiah thought that he was a good man. He stood for righteousness. He was known as the prophet of prophets. Even his name means salvation is of the Lord. He knew about woes. In chapter 5, the chapter before, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. He says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. He knew about woes. Woe is you. Woe is you. Woe is you. Woe is you. But as we read here in verse 5, it says, Woe is me. The word woe is an expression of grief or indignation. Cursed. Damned. That's what woe is. Peter gives that as an example in the New Testament, in Luke 5, when he fell on Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If you look at verse 5, the second part, where it talked about his unclean lips, I'm sure with Isaiah, he had a problem perhaps with his lips, with his speech. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's negativity. Maybe it's cutting people down. Regardless, that was a struggle for him. Verse 6, when it says, When the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken, um, and he actually touched his mouth. So a hot coal is a sign of God's anger, yet a sign of his purification for holiness. As the coal touched his lips, it purified him. It didn't burn him up. The question we need to ask ourselves, what area of our life is unclean? Is it our mind, our speech, our hands that do evil? The Lord will send a coal from off the altar if we humble ourselves. We could all agree that repentance can be painful but it is necessary for his holiness to govern us. The third point is simply two letters. It's go. Go. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go before us? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. Go. If you notice, it was unlike Moses when he was asked to go. Moses says, uh, I can't speak. Uh, use Aaron. Or, or, or even Timothy when he was asked to go. Timothy said, I'm too young. I'm not qualified. Or even Jonah, a fellow prophet, says to go to Nineveh. What did he say? Nope. Yet with Isaiah, he said, send me. Why would Isaiah have this attitude to go without excuse, without murmuring, without complaining, without even questioning? Um, I want you to turn your finger to the, uh, keep your finger here and turn to John chapter 12, because you'll see a, uh, this prophecy fulfilled. So John chapter 12, verse 40. Keep your finger there. 
as I continue to read back in Isaiah 6, verse 10, it says, Make the heart of his people dull and his ears heavy and the blinds of his eyes, lest they see with their eyes. Let me stop right there. And if you turn to John chapter 12, you can see in verse 40, he, he says, Jesus quotes this, it says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Prophecy was being stated and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. More importantly, look at verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he, Isaiah, saw his glory and spoke of him. According to John in contents, who is he? It's Jesus. The question was, again, why would Isaiah say, send me? It's because Isaiah saw a pre-incarnated Jesus Christ sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his glory filled the entire temple. When he saw Jesus Christ, he couldn't help but to say, send me. What does that mean for us? When God tells us, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What should we do? Here are some examples from our fellowship at City Bible Church of people that have had said, send me. John Manet, as some of you may know, had some major evil done to him on his struggling business. And within the midst of it, within, I would say, a couple days, he decided to get his eyes off of his himself and put it on others. And he was able to share the gospel with one of his students that following Monday. That's amazing. He said, send me. And John said, go. Or there was someone at our church that I noticed approached a police officer at a Home Depot parking lot and asked if they could pray with them. And she did. Right there. Send me. And if you look at how the women's purity group has started up and the men's purity group going on two years strong, this is pretty amazing to be able to have a group of guys and gals sharing the struggles, putting in the light so that they could walk, that we could walk in holiness. Remember, holiness must govern every aspect of our lives. A brief, simple message, see, woe, and go. I also want to appeal to those that have been watching the service. So I wanted to make sure, even though we may have not have met physically, but I wanted to minister to you as a way of outreach, as a gospel told in a story. I've shared this story a few times. Um, but God has pressed in my heart about his holiness to give a little bit of a different take. The story is a true story, if you want to look it up. His name is John Griffith. In the 1920s, he was newly married. He was full of optimism, living the American dream. And then the, and then the late 20s, obviously, there's the great crash, the stock market crash. John wanted to travel the world, and his dreams were shattered. So he moved from Oklahoma uh, to near the Mississippi River, and he took a job tending 
um, railroad bridges. Uh, sadly, he would see passengers traveling on a far-off places that he dreamed to go. He had a son by the name of Greg, and in 1937, his son was about eight years old. His son asked if he could come to work with him. He said it's dangerous, for sure. So as he watched his dad press down the huge level lever raised and lowered the vast bridge, Greg looked up to his dad and said, "This he's the greatest dad. He is the greatest man alive. Lunchtime came, and John uh, elevated the bridge as the, pa- as the ships passed through, and he would tell his sons the ship's destinations. Walking back from lunch and hearing the whistle of a distant train, it was about 1.07 p.m., and the Memphis Expre- Express would be coming in just a few minutes. He told his son, stay put, son. He jumped, and he ran across the catwalk, to the control panel house. He searched the river for no ships and underneath the bridge to make sure there was nothing below. His son, Greg, attempted to follow his footsteps. Unfortunately, he fell down the hill and, and his legs and his leg was lodged in the massive gearbox of the gear that is below that controlled uh, the bridge. Panic, frantic, frantically raced John's mind, and he was searching for some sort of solution. He even thought for himself to to tie himself with a a coil rope and climb down the ladder and secure the rope to pull his son into safety. He realized there just was not enough time. He knew in a moment there was only one thing that he could do with over 400 passengers coming. He buried his face into his left arm and plunged the lever down. With the cries of his son quickly drowned out by the metal gears, and with only seconds to spare, the Memphis Express crossed the bridge without anyone knowing what had just happened. Businessmen would be reading their morning papers, uninformed conductors glancing nonchalantly at their pocket watch, all not knowing what he just did. He sacrificed his son so that these 400 strangers could live. You could see the correlation of the gospel. What God the Father has done, he has sent his only begotten son, so that you and I may have eternal life. This is truly God's love. But if this story was retold about God's holy love, it would go like this. Because sin and death must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. God the Father would be the conductor and his son Jesus Christ obviously is the son who is holy, perfect, and innocent. The problem was is that the gearbox, something was jammed and it needed to be lubricated to be able to save the passengers or the enemies, which is you and I. The Father would said, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Jesus abide willingly and says, Here I am, send me. An atoning sacrifice to save us from ourselves and from God's wrath. The holy and perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. I beseech you. I urge you. I beg you. If you have not 
confessed Jesus Christ into your life, what are you waiting for? If you have strayed and drifted, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Get right with him now. As we close, City Bible, once again, holiness must govern every attribute of our lives. Why? Because holiness governs everything on who he is. Be holy as I am holy. God bless you.